Good Morning Liberty. Hey, what's up, everyone? All of our Liberty-loving friends out there. My name is Nate, and this is another fantastic episode of the Good Morning Liberty podcast. Charlie's not here today. He's gone. He is not here. I'm looking at nothing straight across from me. So normally, we could bounce back and forth, talking, laughing, having a good time. But hey, it's just me. So you're welcome, guys. This is going to be so much better. Uh, Evidently, Charlie just doesn't care about Liberty. Well, go and subscribe to the Good Morning Liberty podcast on your favorite podcast app. A lot of people listen on our website, and we greatly appreciate that. But what we would even more greatly appreciate is if you would go to your podcast app, search Good Morning Liberty, and subscribe to the podcast. We put out a new episode every single day of the week. Charlie, if you're listening, listen, man. I know you care about Liberty. Charlie's out there smoozing some clients. He's working. See, we do, we do, and I, by we, mainly Charlie, do a healthcare software company out of this office. I know a little bit of the coding stuff, but not as much as he does. So we do a healthware, healthcare software company uh, where we help healthcare companies more efficiently collect on their money and navigate all of the regulation process and try to get money from the insurance companies and from Medicare. And we program in all of the ways that they can do that as efficient as possible. So it's a great business. And uh, that's what Charlie's out doing right now. So thanks, Chuck. Thanks, Chuck, for being gone. Today, I'm going to be doing this on my own. I wanted to talk a little bit about this comment from AOC. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Now, hopefully, I mean, I hope to God she doesn't win re-election, but there's a good chance that we might have to listen to this girl talk for the rest of our lives. And honestly, if that doesn't make you depressed, I don't know what will. We're going to have to be hearing all of the stupid crap that comes out of her brain for a really long time. And I don't really mean to... I don't know. I don't really mean to put her down. Really, it's, I don't know, it's her instructor's fault. It's the people who falsely told her that she had an economics degree, which is what she really had was a biased indoctrination degree. She's on, she's on here talking, and this is a Twitter video. She's talking about Keynes, Milton Keynes. If you guys have ever read anything from him, this Keynesianism, this Keynesian economics, this idea that if we just keep putting money into things, basically, we can keep printing money, we can keep injecting cash. Honestly, this is what drives a lot of our economic policy. It's a consumption-based economics, where if uh, if you wanted to spur the economy, all you would need to do is just give people money. And that way, they could spend that money on things, and that's what would actually grow our economy. Now, there's some parts of that, there's a few parts of that that have some merit, and then there's a lot of it that doesn't have any merit. One of the biggest things when you talk about spurring economic growth and giving people money is we have this leech on top of us. We have, we have this parasite on top of us that steals value out of every single transaction. It steals value out of your labor. It steals value out of things that you purchase. It steals value out of your home. 
All kinds of things. And no, I'm not talking about the big banks or the evil rich billionaires or your business owner or anyone who's just scraping some profit off the top. I'm talking about, of course, the U.S. government, the IRS, the government in general. So you all, you first off have to take into account that in every transaction, while you might be able to grow an economy with some type of consumption, you have to account for the fact that you've got a leech stealing value from, from each one of those things. And then you have to come to terms with the fact that simply injecting money into things is not really how you grow them. Injecting more money into the economy, that's what we've been doing. That's what we've been doing for a really long time. Obviously, our economy has grown and grown, but we're also in a crazy amount of debt. And what do we keep wanting to do? Well, we want to just keep spending more and more money. President Trump's newest budget proposal was $4.8 trillion for 2021. $4.8 trillion for 2021. We're already running a trillion dollar deficit. Already. That's $4.8 trillion that they're saying needs to be taken out of the private economy, out of the free market economy, needs to be taken from people who are producing value, who are voluntarily transacting, and it needs to go into the government coffers, and then it needs to be spent on things that they think are worthwhile. So where the big issue happens with this Keynesian idea is how does that money get spent? Does it get spent efficiently? There's a lot of different ways to spend money. If you want to look up Milton Friedman's price quadrants, that's a good place to start. There's different ways that you spend money. When, when you are spending money on yourself, you're going to be as efficient with that money as you possibly can. And then you can move on down to line to less and less efficient. What if you're spending your money on someone else? Well, you are going to be more price conscious and you're going to lose a little bit of that incentive to make sure that it's the best value. Well, what if you're spending someone else's money on you? Well, you're going to be really concerned with the value of what you're getting, but you're going to be less concerned with what the actual price is because it's someone else's money. And then you can go all the way down the line to you're spending someone else's money on someone else. And that's what we have now. That's what the government does. It spends someone else's money on someone else. So you are neither worried about the quality, nor are you worried about the price. Because why would you be? Why, why would you be worried about those things? You're not immediately getting something from it. You don't, really, uh, you don't take on the risk. You don't really take on any of the consequences of your actions. And you just get to forcefully take more money from other people. Where's the incentive? Where's the incentive to actually spend that money efficiently? I'm going to play AOC's video here real quick. She just did a little 15 second video real fast where she's talking about Keynes. Uh, she's promoting a four day work week and she's talking about how Keynes said that by 2030, we would all be able to work 15 hours a week. So let's just hear what she has to say. It's funny you ask this because I was just reading today about how Milton Keynes, a famous uh, economist back in the day, predicted that by 2030, U.S. GDP would grow six to eight times what it is, which would allow for everyday people to work 15 hours a week. Okay, so she's talking about people being able to work 15 hours a week. The little tag thing on top of the video says, let's discuss the benefits of a four-day work week. 
All right. So, and then she's also mentioning the 15-hour work week that was talked about by Milton Keynes. Let's talk about what you would have to be making to be working a 15-hour work week and still have the standard of living that you have right now. You're talking $30, $40 an hour for people who are, say, broke right now or struggling. They'd have to be making between $30 to $40 an hour to still be struggling. What people normally don't look at when they, when they think about this, because automatically they're like, well, that sounds great. All, these, all the people, they're working minimum wage, and you make the minimum wage $35 an hour. Well, that sounds great. Well, then you, of course, have all those reverberations throughout the economy. Think about people like, uh, I don't know, look at what, what my wife does. Let's say what, what my wife does. If she's making 40 an hour right now, and then all, all of a sudden, the minimum wage goes up to $35 an hour. What do you think she's going to expect her pay to go up to? You have this issue at restaurants that, where they're enacting the $15 minimum wage. You have people who have been working there for years and years and have worked their way up to voluntarily receiving $15 an hour because they're worth that much. And then you have new people that are coming in, and now they're making $15 an hour. Well, the people who were making 15 an hour before that are like, hey guys, this is kind of unfair. You know what would be fair is if you go ahead and raise my pay up to 20 bucks an hour because now the starting person gets 15. I started out at seven and worked my way up to 15. Therefore, I need to be getting at least 20, 22, 25, something like that to actually make this fair. And you have this happen throughout the entire economy throughout every single sector, when everyone sees that the minimum is now what they're getting paid, well, they've worked their butts off to not be making the minimum anymore. They've worked their butts off and put themselves through college to be making double what the minimum is, triple, quadruple what the minimum is. And they're still going to expect that. So then when you put that in place, and now you've got people I mean, you'll need to be paying them $100 an hour to keep them happy, to keep it fair, because we're concerned about fairness, I I think, to keep it fair. What do you think happens to the pricing of everything when that happens? That's one thing that people who are pushing for a higher minimum wage, of course, they they never consider this. They don't think about what happens to the prices. If raising the minimum wage were actually the answer to some of our problems, then it would have worked the first time that we raised the minimum wage. And then we wouldn't have needed to raise the minimum wage anymore. But what happens? You get price inflation from it. You get the Federal Reserve injecting fake money into the system, artificially raising prices on everything. You get things like this happening where now, okay, well, they they doubled the minimum wage. It's 50 cents an hour now great, I'm having a great life, and then five years later, it's not enough money anymore. You've already got Tom Steyer out there calling. He's not even calling for a $15 an hour minimum wage anymore. He's calling for a $22 an hour minimum wage. He's out there saying that that's what the minimum has to be. The fight for 15 has taken so long that by the time you get there, 15 is not going to be enough anymore. And there lies the problem with the minimum wage, with setting the minimum. Because you start to realize that as price inflation happens and as the free market happens, that 15 is not even good enough. You got to be making more than that. 
And the way that you get yourself to where you're making enough money to only work 15 hours a week is to be productive enough and valuable enough that you can produce enough in those 15 hours a week that you can get enough value from other people. Because remember, you're going to have to use the money that you're making to pay other people that are also doing things, but now also they want to be making $35, $40 an hour. You've got to use your money to transact with those people. And so now the money that you're making is not going to be enough anymore because now all the people that you're transacting with to get the lifestyle that you want, to get the value that you want to extract from them so you can only work for 15 hours a week, it's not going to be enough. The minimum wage, ideas like this, Keynesianism in itself, is nothing more than a dog chasing its tail. It, it doesn't work. It doesn't happen. It keeps moving. There's no way you're going to catch it. The only way you can do it is by making sure that you are valuable enough to demand a higher amount of money. That's how you actually have to do it. Most people, a lot of people do not agree with the statement I'm about to make, but I still stand by it and I understand its implications. Most people are making what they are, what they are worth monetarily. Most people are making what they are worth. People don't want to accept that, but the amount of money that you're making is what you're worth to that business. And if you think you're worth more, then go into your boss's office and say, hey, you're going to raise my pay to this or I'm leaving. Now, if they decide to take you up on that and pay you more money, then you're worth that. But here's the problem. If they don't take you up on that, if they don't agree to pay you more money and they let you leave, then you weren't worth that amount of money. If you were worth it, they would have kept you. That's a plain and simple fact. Now, it can be because there are other people who will work for less. Well, that's the free market. That's supply and demand. That just is what it is. If we all had phones and we didn't care whether or not it was Apple or Samsung or whatever, and Apple said, you got to pay us $1,200 for a phone, and Samsung said, you got to pay us $700 for a phone. Well, can Apple get mad and say, well, I'm worth $1,200, but no one will pay for it because there's some other phone company out there offering it for $700? No, that just means that your phone's not worth the $1,200. I know that in our market, that's different because a lot of people obviously deem the iPhone to be worth $1,200. So maybe that's not the best example. But that's what you have to do. Now, when it comes, obviously, you're going to talk about teachers and police officers and firefighters. Guess what? Those people all work for the government. Isn't that weird? If you were to go around and ask anyone, who do you think is the most underpaid, undervalued portion of our society? Who do you think is always getting screwed and not getting paid enough? I guarantee you the bulk of them are going to say teachers or police officers. They're going to say something like that. Maybe they'll say nurses, in which case this argument wouldn't be as, as good but they're probably going to go somewhere around teachers and police officers. Those people are paid by the government. Isn't it weird that we have a lot of people on the left who are talking about how we need the government to take over every single sector of our economy, that we basically need everyone to be on a government pay scale. We need all pay to be dictated by the government. But the people whose pay has been dictated by the government for the last 50 years or the last 100 or the last 150 
are widely known as the worst paid people in the economy. How does that make any sense? You see people on the left that are obviously supporting teacher strikes and them saying that they need to get paid more money. Guess what? Who sets their pay scale? Do you want to see a bunch of doctors out there on that picket line striking because they're not getting paid enough money? Is that what you want to see? Why do you want to have the government taking over all payment for healthcare? Why do you want the government to be taking over payment for anything else? When you will sit there and admit that all the people that you mention are the worst paid, most undervalued people of society, or the people whose pay scales have been set by the government for our entire lives. That doesn't make any sense. You guys know it doesn't make any sense. So I wanted to talk about Keynes for a minute and the idea that you can inject money into an economy and then it's going to grow. The biggest problem with that, you have to think about value creation. I had this conversation with someone and we were talking about, well, do you tie the, do you tie the dollar to the gold or, or, or what do you do to make sure that your economy can still expand? What do you, how do you allow for money expansion if you want everything to be on the gold standard or you want everything to be set on a fixed amount or something like that? Well, the way that you do this is you have to understand how the value actually expands in the first place. See, if I, if I take out a business loan for a million dollars and then I use that million dollars to create something that produces a billion dollars worth of products that people will pay a billion dollars for, then I've just expanded that million dollars with value behind it. I've actually expanded that million to a billion by producing something of value. That's the problem with our fiat currency. That's the problem with now you can print a million dollars and there's no value behind it. So you get a false expansion of the money supply, something with no value. You create a million new dollars in which case it only devalues all of the other dollars that are out there. If you've got a, let's say right now, you've got a Kobe Bryant rookie card, okay? Uh, Basketball cards, sports cards are, are getting big again. You've got a Kobe Bryant rookie card. Now, the value of that rookie card it, it's, it's pretty big, I'm sure. I don't know exactly what it is. And it, the reason is because there's a fixed amount of those rookie cards. And there's a value attached to the rookie card having Kobe Bryant on it. Now, let's say there's a thousand of them in existence. But there's 20 million people out there that want that rookie card. Well, that means that that rookie card has got a value attached to it whatever the amount is that people want to pay. What happens to the value of the, of the Kobe Bryant rookie card if all of a sudden someone opens a box in their garage and says, oh, crap, I forgot this shipment I didn't drop off. It's got a million Kobe Bryant rookie cards in it. Well, now I'm just going to put all of these on eBay. What do you think happens to the value of all of the Kobe Bryant rookie cards that are in existence? They all go down. The only way that you would be able to match that value 
is by creating more demand for that for that product for Kobe Bryant. You would have to make him more infamous in some kind of way. Unfortunately, I mean, if you were to look at the current situation, didn't plan on talking about Kobe Bryant today, but I bet you, I bet you a Kobe Bryant rookie card is worth a lot more right now than it was worth a month ago. Don't you think it probably is? So what happened? The value of the card went up. The demand for the card went up. The notoriety of the card went up. Okay, that's a way that you can actually increase that value. Now, if on the day that Kobe Bryant died, you found a million Kobe Bryant rookie cards and you put them in on eBay the day he died, they were just new rookie cards that no one knew existed. You could potentially increase the supply of those rookie cards without devaluing all of the other ones that were out there because you increased the value along with increasing the supply. So the problem is, with this Keynesianism, is you create this money, and you just inject it into the economy, and it doesn't have any value. Imagine the difference between giving someone a million dollars to buy a house, a million dollars to start a business, a million dollars to invest in something that was going to have some type of a return or grow in value or have some kind of asset value behind it. Or if you're going to give a million dollars for people to buy clothes from American Eagle. Now, 10 years later, what's the value of that million dollars? If it's for the clothes for American Eagle, it's probably nothing. It's probably down to like $10,000 by that time. But if you're actually talking about a million dollars that was invested into something productive, well, it could actually be worth a lot more. That's the difference between injecting money into an economy with value creation behind it and injecting money into an economy with no value behind it. The no value behind it part, by the way, is Keynesianism. That's what we do. That's what the government does. That's the entire problem. Government spends money inefficiently. They just do. If you're going to pay $50,000 for a toilet seat, what do you think the value of that toilet seat is going to be in 10 years? First off, you paid $50,000 for a toilet seat that maybe if it was super nice, airplane, amazing toilet seat that you just can't get on the market, maybe you got a toilet seat that's 100 bucks. Well, they paid $50,000 for it. It's in the DOD budget. Look it up. So now you spent $50,000. You've wasted most of it. You, you wasted 49900 of the dollars. So you've got an artificial $49,900 that's just been injected into the economy for something that didn't have any value. They had $100 worth of value. This is how the government spends money. So when we had this idea that we should give more money to the government or the government should print more money or they should put more money into investing in certain things, the problem is all of the money that they spend is spent very, very inefficiently. Whereas when you spend your money, unless you're spending it on something that's not really going to have any value whatsoever, imagine if it's 1995 and you bought Everyone, you just bought, you spent all this government money and you bought everyone a nice Walkman CD player and a CD case. I know for you, you, uh, you youngins out there, maybe you don't know what that is. 
But we used to have to carry around this large contraption that had a, this spinning disc in it. And one of the sides looked like a mirror, and it was kind of shiny, and then, you know, something printed on top of it. You can't really jump around that much, unless you got your nice Walkman, you know, your nice exercise, workout Walkman that you can run with. It's a runman, maybe. So that's nice, and you got these nice headphones and everything. Well, what's that thing worth now? Nothing. It's not worth anything. But what if you injected a bunch of money into the, into the economy so everyone could buy those? You just wasted a bunch of money. You just put a bunch of money towards something that did not grow in value. It just decreased in value. It's like buying a car, you know? You look at buying a car. How much are you going to sell that thing for when the, loan's, when the loan's paid for versus what you paid for it? Now, there's other good parts. There's all kinds of ways to look at this. A car itself, maybe you're going to pay 20 grand for it. Maybe it's going to be worth like 7,000 if you go to sell it, if you took really good care of it. You're going to pay 20 with all your interest. You're going to pay like 25, 26 for it, something like that. And you're going to sell it for like six or $7,000. That's a pretty bad investment. Unless, of course, that car is what aided in your ability to be productive all the time. Then the car actually does have other value associated with it besides its material, physical value. So there's all kinds of different ways of looking at this. But you can't just look at Keynesianism. And just keep looking at this idea that, like our 2021 budget, looking at $4.8 trillion, that we're going to inject that money into the economy, and it's going to be worth more than $4.8 trillion after that. If the government were able to do that, if they were able to inject money into the economy and it would be worth more later, they, they wouldn't really need to be taxing anyone anymore because they've taken $100 trillion and put it in the economy. You'd think if they were running a profitable business, they really would not need to be forcefully taxing you anymore. Good Lord, they've invested $100 trillion in things. Why do they still need to steal $3.5 trillion from us next year? They shouldn't need to. They should have been putting that money into things that were valuable so they wouldn't need to tax you anymore. That's what a business would be able to do. That's what someone who's investing money would be able to do. Maybe they can take out a, a loan, a terrible idea. You can take out a loan and invest it in the market because you're just an amazing stock market trader. You can make more per year than what your loan is and you know, maybe you can actually make money off of that. That's not what the government does. They put it in there, they, all, they blow it all, and then they take money from you the next year to pay it off. Plus, blowing more money on other stuff. It's just not a good idea whatsoever. The money that's created has to have value behind it. And we need to change the way that we look at money in the first place. I've talked about this a lot. I had a conversation with someone on Instagram. Uh, the Instagram page literally was called socialist underscore earth. Go look it up if you want to laugh. Go check out socialist underscore earth. And of course, they were talking about what if we just imagine for a second. And the guy was being, the guy was being nice, unlike a lot of people on the internet. He was like, imagine just for a second. If we lived in a world where we didn't use money, what if you weren't worried about profits? What if you weren't worried about money and paying for things? I was like, oh, okay, well, for, this isn't Star Trek, first off. Probably not going to happen. But then we have a, a fundamental problem with our view of what money is. Because what this guy was imagining was a commune. He's imagining this nice communist 
commune where everyone can live there and you put in some work and you get the value that everyone else is doing too and everyone else gets your value too and you all work together and there's no money changing hands and 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 everyone's just perfectly happy and no one ever dies and it's all great you know everything's good the problem is just imagine that commune for a second and you got to realize that we live in a 330 million person commune that spans over 2,000 miles probably need to take that into account i would say well let's just imagine it for a second imagine you're a farmer like my dad is imagine you're a farmer and you need imagine you need health care imagine you need a doctor to do something for you. well there's a doctor in the community the doctor needs food of course so i guess what you need to do is you got to drive your grain truck to the hospital and uh, you can exchange with him. You can set up some type of exchange where you guys exchange your services. And then you got to make sure some of your grain is allocated to all of the other people. That maybe you need someone to build you a house. Or maybe you need someone to produce some type of electricity or build you a phone. So you have to make sure, well, you know what you're actually going to have to do is your grain is just going to have to be given to the collective. Because it's going to be way too hard for you to spend your entire day driving a grain truck around trying to transact with everyone. and Honestly, that just won't be good for the environment. So you don't want to do that. What you're going to have to do is you're going to have to instill a system where all of the grain is just taken by the community. We've heard this before, by the way. This has happened before. This has already been an idea, by the way. Uh, shocker, newsflash, this is not an original idea. So you're going to create this system where everyone's having to produce value and exchange the value of what they're producing so they can receive value from other people. That's all you're doing. That's all your commune is. Everyone's producing value so they can exchange that value with other people. If you don't produce any value, then you'll get kicked off of the commune like Bernie Sanders. Okay, they want you to work and produce actual value for the other people. Okay, I'm sorry to blow your mind here, but you don't just go to a commune and then everyone just sits around eating grapes all day. That's not what happens. You got to work, you got to put in labor, you got to do what you're good at so you can receive the benefits of what everyone else is good at. So what we did was we have a way where we make this more efficient. Instead of you giving that to the collective maybe you send your grain to the government and then they allocate it proportionately to everyone and then 30 million people starve to death because they've done such a terrible job but what we do is we just create a market where maybe you just sell the grain for these pieces of paper and you get pieces of paper and what they do is they represent the value in the market of what your grain is that's, that seems like a pretty good idea. And now what you can do is you can go around and you can figure out what value you need from other people. And maybe it's someone who has a restaurant and you're going to take some of your pieces of paper and you're going to say, hey, you also need other things besides the food at your restaurant. And you're also going to need to use some of these pieces of paper to transact that with other people to get that. I'll just give you some of my pieces of paper and you give me some food at the agreed upon price. If I don't like the price, then I won't do it. 
And that's what money is. That's, that's just simply what money is. The commune idea is still built on the idea of money. It's still money. Only you performing your valuable service, working, building people's houses all day, is the money. It's the same thing we've got right now. It's the exact same thing we've got right now. Except for the problem in the commune is that when other people are receiving things that maybe they did not earn, or maybe all of your value is being taken, and you, don't, you get the same things regardless of what you do, whether or not you work hard or you work soft, whatever, you get the same value, you get the same stuff. Well, we're human beings. What do you think we're going to do? We're going to put in the least amount of effort because you're not going to get anything else for your extra effort whatsoever. I would do the same thing. All of us do. If there is no chance you'll ever receive another single thing for ever working harder than you are right now, then why would you work harder? Why would you be more productive? You're, you're a human being. You're not going to. Maybe a very, very small percentage of the population will do it. A very small percentage. There's a great argument where people will say, well, communism is a great idea if it weren't for human nature, then communism would be an amazing idea. Well, you've also got to apply that statement to capitalism. How much better would capitalism even be if it weren't for human nature? You got to be able to apply that both ways and capitalism would still be better because you would still be able to create more things and raise the standard of living for more people. There's this really cool story Hopefully I don't mess up the name. I think I've mentioned it before, but you can look up an NPR story on a town in China called Zhaogang. And in 1978, this is when people were still starving to death in China, millions of them. You know, you get your famous, well, they're starving people in China types of sayings from that time. Well, during this time, in this little town, this little village called Zhaogang, These farmers had a secret meeting by lamplight at night and they decided, well, we're sick of, we're sick of starving. You know what I think we should do? Here's what we're going to do. Secretly, we're going to sign a contract with one another and whatever it is that you produce, now we have to give what we have to give to the government. We've got to do it. But also, if you produce extra, then you can keep it for yourself. I'm not going to take it from you. If you produce extra, then you can keep it for yourself. This agreement was so secret, they all signed it. They put the agreement up in the bamboo shoots of one of their huts or houses or whatever it was that they were living in. And then everything changed. This actually changed China when this happened. Okay, what you saw immediately was they used to work in, in, in China, you would have a bell ring in the morning and that's when you had to go out and start working on your farm or doing whatever it is you had to do. And then a bell would ring in the evening and that's when you had to stop. And that was the way that you lived. Well, after signing this agreement in the next season, what they found was that since people would be able to keep, if they made extra food, they would be able to keep it for their family. 
They would see people out there before the bell would ring in the morning. They would get up as early as they could and go out there and try to take care of their fields. They would stay past the bell. The bell would ring and everyone would stay out through the night trying to take care of their fields. Because if they made extra, they would be able to give it to their family. What they saw was the very first growing season after they created that contract. They grew as much grain as they had grown in the previous five growing seasons combined in the first year. And all it took was that they would be able to keep the extra if they produce more than what people were going to take from them. That their family got to keep the extra. And all of a sudden, like that, everyone started working harder. They started taking better care of everything. This is a pretty simple idea. You guys know that it all goes this way. You guys have shared an apartment with someone before. You guys have shared things with people before. Once you see that other people aren't putting in the effort, or that you gain nothing, imagine you go clean the entire apartment and then it's destroyed a couple hours later. How often are you going to put a lot of time into cleaning that apartment? Probably not a lot. You know, buy a bunch of groceries and then everyone else just gets to take them. That's not going to work for very long. Why would you go buy the groceries? Then you're going to stop doing that. We asked this class, uh, we were talking to, oh, it wasn't a class. We were speaking in a classroom at MTSU for Turning Point USA. And you have to imagine, imagine two classrooms. In one class, the instructor says, I'm going to grade everyone fairly. You're going to get what you earn. I'm not going to give anyone any preferential treatment. If you do a really good job, that's what grade you're going to get. If you do a poor job, you're going to fail. That's what's going to happen. And then you have another class next door where the instructor says, hey, no matter what happens, you guys are all going to get the same grade. And uh, actually, if you don't turn in any homework, you can't fail. I'm not going to give you a failing grade. And uh, regardless, you guys are all going to get a B minus. And that's what everyone's going to get. Regardless of whether or not you show up, whether or not you do well on the test, you ever say anything in class, you ever do your homework, that's what you're all going to get. Now, if you compare the two classes, which one of them do you think would have students that are putting in more work? Which one do you think would have students that were actually learning or actually becoming more valuable? Obviously, it would be the one who were going to be held accountable for their actions. This is our society, by the way. This is your participation trophy. This is the idea that you shouldn't have homework anymore in school. Or the idea that you can't fail students or you can't, you can't hold them back a grade. You just answered the question of which one do you think is going to have the better outcome for the students. Which students do you think are going to learn more? Who do you think is going to have a better life after they learn more? Who's going to get more done? Obviously, it's the ones that are going to be held accountable. So we, we, we just have to find a way to shift this mindset. And honestly, we got to do a better job talking to people about this. Charlie and I are both libertarians. The libertarian party has failed at this message. They have completely failed. If you ask people what the libertarian party message was, it would be do drugs, um, screw the troops, police officers are murderers, 
and everyone needs to wear a boot on their head. That's, that's what people would say about the Libertarian Party. They've completely failed at the proper message. They've completely failed at constructing this image, at constructing this reality and showing it to people and telling a story of what their lives would look like if we went by these principles of individual liberty, of taxation as theft or whatever it is, abolishing the Fed, not having these unnecessary undeclared wars. It would, it would be a good thing if they would take some time trying to tell that story, trying to market that, instead of spending all the time on the things that they spend their time on right now. Libertarians have failed at this message. And in a lot of people, libertarian Republicans, conservatives, it's become a very self-centered, very selfish message. It's become, don't, don't take what's mine. This is mine. You can't have it. We talk about it all the time. You, I own myself. You can't steal from me. Taxation is theft. We need to do a better job talking to people about actual solutions because people do have problems. We can agree there are a lot of problems. Healthcare is too expensive. Okay? A lot of people don't make enough money to get by. We can agree on these problems. But we definitely disagree on the solutions. But instead of just tearing down the other people who are putting forward what sound like solutions, they're obviously not. We got to we got to be making sure that we're putting forward actual solutions. We got to make sure that we're painting the picture of what could be a better life for everyone. We got to make sure that we're letting people know that this ideology that we have is not just because we only care about ourselves or we're only selfish. We have to make sure that people know that this ideology is because we care about other people. That's why we have this ideology. Because when I see all the problems that we have and the cost of healthcare and people who are poor, people on the street, it disgusts me. It's depressing. And instead of just getting upset and blaming the people who aren't in that situation, you're blaming the rich, Got to look a little bit deeper. See what the actual systemic problems are that have created these situations. We got to do a better job at explaining that and not just coming off as selfish jerks all the time who don't care about anyone. We do care about people. Actually, we care more than other people do. Right now, you've got the left, to me, is basically coming up to someone who has a heroin addiction and arguing that what we need is government-funded heroin. That's not caring. That is not caring about people. The people who actually care about those people are the ones who are trying to fix the real situation, trying to get them off the heroin, trying to make them into a, a better person, trying to give them a better life. But somehow you got the person who's arguing for taxpayer-funded heroin. This is an analogy, obviously, not real life. You've got the person who's arguing for that, who's able to come off as the person who's on the moral high ground. When did that become the moral high ground? You got someone who's morbidly obese and you're like, well, you know, what we need is to make sure that they never have to pay for food again for the rest of their life. No. No, that's not the answer. That is not the answer. Now, you're going to make the obese person like you a lot? Yeah. They'll definitely like you. But is it the actual answer that would make their life better? No. It obviously isn't. So fix the way that we talk to people. Fix the way that we convey our message. I had another conversation with someone about, well, first off, this socialist earth person was talking about how they're a socialist anarchist. Try to wrap your mind around that. 
a socialist anarchist. They do not believe that we need a state. They don't think we need a, a, a state, yet they're socialists. I tried to talk to them very respectfully, and I said, okay, how are you going to stop me from, sure, you're going to use the state to disband Amazon, I'm sure, and probably have them all hung in the streets, I, I assume, just like Russia did to the kulaks. So after you do that, and then you get rid of your state, how are you going to stop me from creating the, the next Amazon? How are you going to do that without the state? Without any type of power? I was actually able to get a response out of them that was something like, well, you know, that's very interesting. I'm doing my laundry. I'll have to get back to you. And that was it. They never got back to me. I was talking to someone about the Green New Deal. Ridiculous. $93 trillion. Insane. We don't have any money, by the way. We ain't got no money. $93 trillion is going to come out of your, your pocket. The government doesn't have money that it hasn't taken from other people. It's the only money it has. If, the, if you think they're going to take it from the rich people or from the businesses, you got to ask yourself, where do the rich people get their money? They get it from you. The money's going to come from you. So first off, you got to take that into account. Then you got to ask yourself, are any of the technologies that they're pushing actually even going to help anything? Are they actually ready? We can't store enough solar power to power everything. The technology doesn't exist yet. I'm more willing to let the free market fix this problem. No one is talking about the invention that, Joe, the, uh, that uh, Bill Gates released last week. No one. I saw one news story about it. Bill Gates released an invention using the solar mirror technology that could create a heat up to 1,000 degrees that could be used to melt steel or make concrete, anything in that type of manufacturing process. He says it can replace fossil fuels at a cheaper price than fossil fuels and be used in industries to make steel and concrete. Why would you not support that? Why would you not? If it's going to be cheaper than fossil fuels, people are going to have to work in the solar mirror industry. There's going to be jobs in that industry. If we're using our money more efficiently and it's actually cheaper, there'd be more jobs after that because there'd be more room for money to be used more efficiently. You'd have more jobs. So why wouldn't you support that type of idea? Well, it doesn't involve a tons, of, tons of taxes or a new government bureau or anything like that. Gates also funded this project innovating something called a... a crap, what was the wave reactor? I can't remember what it was called. Anyway, uh, a new nuclear reactor that can run off of depleted uranium. It's really cool. It's a really cool idea. They said that just off the stockpile that's sitting in Paducah, Kentucky, they could run America's electricity from this traveling wave reactor. There we go. They could run electricity off of that for, I think he said, 300 years? Just off of the stockpile that's sitting in Paducah, Kentucky of depleted uranium. Why would you not want to put a little bit behind that idea? Maybe write a couple more news stories about it. Why are the climate change alarmists not talking about that? Why are we not talking about the fact that Elon Musk has made electric cars really cool? That was his idea. He's a genius. He wanted people to use electric cars. He knew what the, the people would say about it. So he made electric cars amazing. 
He made electric cars so powerful that they had to send out a software update to reduce the torque because people were complaining for an electric car. That's a really cool idea. Now other, other businesses are following suit. He's got a lot of competition. I just saw an article talking about how Musk has got some competition for that Tesla truck from this other company. That's good. That's what the free market does. In 10 years, an electric car is going to be what a car costs you right now. You might be able to buy a nice 2015 Tesla. He says they can run forever. I'm just saying the free market can actually fix these problems. That's why we don't support something like the Green New Deal. When we switched over from horses to cars, it wasn't because Henry Ford lobbied the government to put a large tax on horses. That's not how we switched over the cars. The cars were obviously better. That's what people wanted after they saw it. The market changed. That's what everyone moved towards. You didn't force everyone to move towards it. So when you leave the free market open, you leave all these people competing to create the next thing that everyone is going to want. That's not what happens with government money. It's spent inefficiently. You're going to waste a ton of it. They're going to spend all this time and create a technology that's probably already 20 years behind and is not going to be even ready to do the things that are going to be involved in this bill. So when it comes to this whole idea of Keynesianism and we should put all the government money into this, we should take out as much debt as we possibly can, we should inject as much money into the economy, you got to ask yourself, how's that money being spent? What's the best way for that money to be spent? If you had $1,000, would you rather you spent it for things that you need? Or would you rather someone else spend it for things that you need? In which way do you think that money would get used more efficiently? That's really it. Guys, go to our Patreon account. Go to patreon.com slash goodmorningliberty. You can become a patron on there. You can support this show. You'll get a free merch item with it, plus all kinds of other cool extras, live Q&As. We can text back and forth about questions and comments on social media. We can do all kinds of cool stuff with all the different options that are on there. Even if you have a podcast or a website, something like that, we'll promote it on our Facebook. You can actually become a sponsor on the podcast if you want to do that. All kinds of different options. If you go to patreon.com slash goodmorningliberty, the link is going to be in the show notes. Look for that, okay? So I'm going to get out of here. We did it without Charlie today. We made it. We got one more day without Charlie, and then he'll be back. Until then, you guys have a good day and a good morning, Liberty.